On location in the Holy Land, David Taverner from UCB travels with Bible teacher and church pastor Mike Beaumont to trace the life of Jesus then and now. In this series, Mike, we've been talking quite a bit about Jesus' disciples, the apostles, the twelve, and indeed those that were very close to him, the uh, closest three, Peter, James and John. But Jesus also had friends. He did, and I find that ever so encouraging because it reminds us, doesn't it, that we all need friends in life. You know, people who are there for us, people who are alongside us in thick and thin, people we can drop in on at any time without being invited. And I just find it so encouraging to know that Jesus had and needed friends. Who were the ones that are particularly named in the Bible? Well, obviously there were the 12 disciples and he spoke of them as friends. Um, there were many others who are named in the Bible. We've looked at some of his supporters, some of those women who no doubt were friends as well. But we're going to focus today on three friends in particular who keep popping up at key points. Uh, and that's the sisters, Martha and Mary, and their brother, Lazarus. So is that why we've come to Bethany near Jerusalem? Yeah, it is because that was their home. And it's pretty clear that Jesus used to use this as a base when he was coming up. Bethany is located on the east side of the Mount of Olives, just over the top of the ridge. It's really only a couple of kilometers from the walls of Jerusalem. And as we go further east, the road winds down towards Jericho. And as pilgrims would come up from Jericho, Bethany was often a place where they would sort of make their last pit stop before they went on to Jerusalem. And so Jesus often used this home of these three people who became clearly very dear friends to him here in this town of Bethany. Actually, it's today called Al-Azaria, which means the place of Lazarus. So even in Arabic and Muslim culture, the story of Lazarus is still remembered in the very name of the place today. And we're sort of seated in a little portico, you might call it, just across from the church itself. What can you tell us about the church? Yeah, as we look across, we can see the modern church, one of these beautiful modern white limestone uh, churches um, that were designed like so many of these modern ones by Baluzzi. But actually where we are uh, sitting at the moment, just outside of that, is nearer where the original church was. It's fascinating. Um, the great church leader, St. Jerome, uh, speaks of the memory of a church here on this site, in this location, that was probably built somewhere between 330 to 380, something like that. And we know it was 35 metres by 19 metres. And, uh, you know, archaeology reveals a lot of these things for us. And it was to this side of where the church is now. Why? Because it was actually linked by an atrium to the tomb of Lazarus, the supposed site of the tomb of Lazarus, which is just a little further up the hill from where we are. And eventually that church was replaced, uh, another church, it was damaged uh, probably with the great earthquakes that happened in uh, 447 and 451. And then in the sixth and seventh century, another church was superimposed on top of that church, but moved slightly to the east. And then the modern church is moved even further to the east. Uh, beautiful, simple designs. You always get that with Baluzzi and uh, lovely mosaics. Uh, 
The floor is exposed at one point as you go in, showing mosaics from the Byzantine church. There are lovely mosaics over the front entrance showing Lazarus, Martha and Mary. And as we go in again, quite a simple church, but with beautiful mosaics high up from the stories of the life of Jesus. And one, of course, in particular, uh, Lazarus being called out from the tomb. We'll come on to that. But I'd like to just talk about Martha and Mary for a minute, because maybe they're slightly overshadowed, perhaps, by the amazing story of Lazarus being raised. <laughs> I mean, it's clear that they were um, really good friends of Jesus and uh, loved him very much, were very happy to serve him. And there's a story in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 11, that many listeners will be familiar with that gives us a little window into them. So why don't we read that? Luke eleven thirty eight says that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now we know it was this village here. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. What does that tell you about the relationship that Jesus had with those sisters? Well, clearly, it was what we're looking at in this theme. It was one of friendship. He could pop into their home. He's on his way, you know, up to Jerusalem or down from Jerusalem, whichever it might have been on this particular occasion. And it's a home that he can call into. For me, that's one of the hallmarks of friends. You know, I know sometimes in our busy life these days, we have to make appointments to see people. But, you know, a friend is someone who you can call on and see you any time and uh, you know if the football match is on they just say to you sit down it's nearly over watch it with me and you get a cup of tea or a cup of coffee there and I, I love this picture because Jesus has gone there uh, probably to stay overnight and to have a meal with them and hospitality is also part of friendship too absolutely and hospitality of course was a very big thing in New Testament times it's been fascinating to come here to uh, the Holy Land this week and to see Middle Eastern culture and the, you know, the stress that is put on hospitality by ordinary people even today that perhaps might shame many of us. You know, perhaps now might be a good time to sort of ask ourselves, you know, when, when was the last time I offered hospitality in my home? And listen, you don't need a grand home. You don't need to put on a grand banquet. You know, a cup of tea or coffee and a biscuit will do fine. And if you can't do the biscuits, the tea or coffee will do fine. So, you know, opening up our homes is, is a wonderful mark of, of hospitality and friendship. What are some of the other secrets of good friendship? I think standing by one another, come what may. A good friend will always be there for you. you know, Jesus was always there for his friends, his disciples, wasn't he? So always being there. And no matter what happens to you or around you, being there to support you and encourage you. But you know what, I would say the flip side of that as well is a really good friend not only stands there with you, but can also poke you in the eye if you need it. In other words, tell you a few home truths. And that, for me, is the mark of real friendship. 
when you've established a relationship with someone where they can lovingly tell you the truth and you might be ranting and raving about someone and sometimes it takes a friend to say, well, you know, to be honest, you were a bit short there with them, weren't you? Or I think you actually might be in the wrong here. And because they're friends, you know, they're not trying to undermine you or get at you. You know, you're far more able to think, okay, I need to give that some thought, don't I? If David's told me that and I know he's my friend, I think I better go and think about that and pray about that. So being there, support, love, encouragement, but also real friends can tell you a few home truths when you need to hear it. Though Mary and Martha were friends of Jesus, they were quite different characters, clearly. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that story gave us a little window into it. Um, Martha is the practical one. Uh, you might even say the activist. You know, she, Jesus turns up and what she, does she do? She's straight into the kitchen, as it were, making a meal. Mary, the more quiet, meditative, contemplative one, sitting at Jesus' feet. And there's this delightful story there that we've just read there in Luke, um, where Martha gets really cross with her sister because she's sitting listening to Jesus when there's work to be done in the kitchen. And I, I love to imagine her sort of banging the pots with ever louder noises to try and get the message across to her sister. And meanwhile, Mary's just sitting there listening to Jesus. And eventually, Martha comes out and says to Jesus, because he's a friend, look, you know, here I am slogging my guts out and she's just sitting here listening to you. Tell her to come and help me. Expecting, of course, Jesus to say, yeah, come on there, Mary, perhaps it's time. But here's friendship. Jesus won't agree with her. He said, actually, Mary's chosen the better thing. Now, by the way, I think those things are about character rather than spirituality. Because by the time it comes to the story of the raising of Lazarus, it will be Martha who is the first to go to Jesus and not Mary. And Martha who will declare faith in Jesus before Mary will. So uh, this is about character. They were very different characters, these two friends of Jesus. And that's the great thing about friendship. If it's real friendship, you won't all be monochrome. You know, you'll have friends who are all different. And you know what? Because you're all different, you'll all end up rubbing corners off one another. And that's exactly how God wants it to be. And also sometimes with good friendship, there's time to do things together and time just to be together. Yeah, absolutely. And that was really a moment for, uh, I think, being together. You know, when Jesus says there, one thing is necessary. Well, it might have been the one thing there being, you know, one thing, sitting listening to me. Or frankly, it could have been Jesus saying, look, one thing, just, you know, just... Just a simple piece of bread would have done us for now, Mary. You didn't need to go to town with this whole meal. It was a question of focus there that had been lost. But this friendship with Mary and Martha and with Lazarus obviously runs deep. Just remind us of the story of Lazarus and how deep it did run. Well, let's read the story again, as we have been trying to do in this series, to root everything we're doing, not just in the buildings around us, but in the story of Scripture. So we find this in John chapter 11, where we read, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. 
In other words, your friend is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Well, that's strange if they're friends. It is, isn't it? But as the story unfolds, what we're going to do is he deliberately stayed there. Oh, my goodness. So that Lazarus died so that the miracle he would perform for them would be far greater than any healing from mere sickness. So he says to his disciples, eventually, two days later, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the daylight? A man who walks by day won't stumble, for he sees this world's light. And he goes on to talk to them about the importance of walking in the light. And then says, after this, he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Now, of course, Jesus there was using the well-known image of falling asleep to mean die, just like today we talk about passing over, passing on, mm. and so on. Lazarus, our friend, has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him. And his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. But Jesus had been speaking about his death, though his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Hang on, they're not even got there yet. And he's declaring that. Mm. Another of those words of knowledge that we've seen. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. Then Thomas, called the twins, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Good old Thomas, you can trust him to bring the cheery word, can't you? <laughs> well, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you what you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into this world. And after she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus hadn't yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, eh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? But Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odour for he's been dead for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Hearing that story read here in Bethany, close to the tomb of Lazarus, made me realize that this was both a test of Mary and Martha's friendship of Jesus, and to some extent, a test of Jesus's friendship of the three of them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, clearly they were struggling. Clearly that little question, Lord, if you'd been here, you know, there's, there's a hint of rebuke there, isn't there? So it is a little bit of test of friendship, and yet, and yeah, you see, this is where friendship kicks in. Friendship doesn't mean that you always get on with sweetness and light and, you know, you never disappoint one another or anything. No, it means there's such an undergirding foundation there that whatever happens, it holds strong. You know, so the question that both of them had, and both of them said this, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. But there's still the yet. <laughs> Yet even now, Lord, I believe you could do something. So I think it had tested their friendship and the test for Jesus's friendship of them, I suppose, as well is, you know, what, what was he going to do now for them? How would that friendship be demonstrated in nothing short of one of the most amazing miracles in the gospel? Well, we've just been down into the tomb of Lazarus here in this village. I mean, just describe what you see when you go down all those steps. Yeah, it, it is an amazing place. And I have to say up front, you know, there's debate about whether it is the actual tomb. The tradition of it being the actual tomb goes back to those earliest centuries. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, why weren't there any churches built until, you know, the 300s? Well, for simple reason, it was not allowed until then. It was only when the Emperor Constantine became a Christian that Christians were allowed to start putting up structures. But before that, there were memories that went back, places that they used to honour. And this has a very early memory. Now, some archaeologists wonder whether it is the right place. Why? Because it is clearly a grave, and yet it looks like it was within the town limits. No Jew would have built 
a grave within the town limits. But if it, if it wasn't the tomb of Lazarus, his would have been very, very much like this one. So to get back to your question, this is becoming a shaggy dog story, isn't it? To get back to your question, what you see is you, this big steel door at the front, it's opened up and you're faced immediately with a steep, steep tunnel steps going down. I counted 25 steps going down, but I tell you, these are at least a foot deep each, quite slippy as well, made out of stone because it's carved out of the bedrock here until you come right down to the bottom into what would have been the antechamber of a tomb. Tombs generally had two chambers, an antechamber, often where things were prepared and then tombs coming off it. The tomb of Jesus in the garden tomb is exactly the same. There's an antechamber as you go through that first door and then where Jesus would have been laid there in a chamber to the right. So what you see here is not a chamber to left and right, but a chamber straight ahead. So you've got this chamber of preparation and then you can look down through a deep hole in the ground to the chamber behind and also through a, an opening in the rock that they've carved so you can look over into the place where it said that Lazarus lay. Now, absolutely, that was a burial place because right next to it, there are a couple of ossuaries. Remember those stone boxes, sort of 12, 18 inches long, into which bones were placed after the body had decomposed. So we know absolutely that that was a burial place. Was it the actual burial place of Lazarus? Tradition is certainly old there, but there are still some questions about it. But you know what? It's still amazing. It's amazing to go down there and to think, if it was not here, it was somewhere like here, in this bedrock where Lazarus lay still dead wrapped in cloths and suddenly <laughs> the voice of Jesus rings out Lazarus come out and the spirit of Lazarus is reunited with his body he comes back to life unlike Jesus not to the new kingdom life but restored to this life and he comes up those steps out of that door still wrapped in the grave clothes that he was put in. And it's interesting, Jesus says at the end of that reading, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Why on earth does he have to say that? Well, I think they were completely astonished. They were all there with mouths open, staring. And Jesus says, um, might be good to take the grave clothes off him. Poor guy. What an amazing miracle. And Jesus' words, I am the resurrection of the life. Familiar words to anyone who's been to a, a funeral probably, particularly a Christian funeral. But what a statement. Yeah, absolutely, because Jesus is doing something here as he does with so much Jewish thinking. He takes hold of traditional Jewish thinking. And every good Jew believed that there would be a resurrection of the dead. At the end of time, God would raise his people when at the end, when Messiah came, when his kingdom was established, then the dead would be raised and would be with God. But it was at the end of time. Now here is Jesus taking hold of that and yanking it 
into the present and saying, yes, there is such a thing as resurrection and life, but it is not in the future. It is now. It starts now. Why? Because I, the son of God, am here. And so he makes this powerful statement. I am the resurrection and the life. If you put your faith and trust in me, what? is going to happen here to Lazarus. Life restored, new life in place of death can happen for all. He who believes in me will live though he died. Now, Jesus is not meaning there, you know, that you know all of us can pray over coffins at the graveside and we're going to see our loved one come back. He is now thinking of that resurrection that there will be when he returns at the end of time. And whoever believes in him will live. And he's not even thinking about then. That life starts now. When you put your trust in Jesus, you start to discover life. Why? Because his life, his life of that world and that dimension, that kingdom starts to break into our hearts and our life now. And a transformation begins that starts now and will continue and expand and will come to fruition on that day when Christ returns. What a tremendous hope we have if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And we're thinking about his friendship, and that comes out clearly in the words you read, where it was obviously noticeable that he was moved by what was going on. Yeah, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. And I don't think we should think of him just going, <laughs> and moving on. I think he sobbed, you know, and it is so powerful that as John records this in those two simple words, I think John recalls what happened that day. The Lord of glory who'd become a real human being sobbed and sobbed along with the others because his friend Lazarus had died. And he knew what was gonna happen but he still sobbed. For me, I take great encouragement from that, that Jesus stands with us and understands our heartache when we lose a loved one. Just by the law of averages, there'll be someone listening to this podcast who has lost a loved one pretty recently and still be feeling the ache and the pain. Well, first one, Jesus feels it with you. He's a friend. He stands alongside with you to walk you through this time of grieving and bereavement. But two, he gives hope for all who trust in him, that death is not the end, and that for those who believe in him, our last breath here on this earth will be our first breath in heaven with our Father. And on another occasion, didn't Jesus speak quite clearly about friendship when he was talking to his disciples? Uh, yeah, there's, there's another passage, actually, it's just a, a few chapters further on uh, in John where Jesus is giving uh, some of his final uh, teaching to his disciples in those last few days before his crucifixion. Uh, and in John 15, it's that well-known chapter where he talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches. But he talks about friendship there. Um, John 15 and... Verse 12, he says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends 
if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learnt from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Be friends. So he sets the bar very high for friendship. He does, doesn't he? Um, greater love is no man than this, than being ready to lay down his life for a friend. There's no limits to friendship, Jesus is saying there. And uh, I think that's a powerful challenge to each of us, isn't it, today? Now, very few of us are called to, to lay down our lives for our friends. But it's a powerful picture, a powerful challenge of, do you know what? Friendship will cost. I think that we can definitely say today. Friendship will cost. If it's real friendship, it will cost. But it will be worth it because you're friends. And the friendship will only go deeper. So with this theme of friendship in our minds, pray for us, Mike, about this important area for all of us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you call all who put their trust in you friends. We're not standing on the outside at a distance. We can actually say today, I am a friend of Jesus and Jesus is a friend of me. Help us, Lord, to invest in that friendship so that that friendship can grow and deepen. And help us to be ready to love and serve others and draw them into that friendship circle. You set a great example for us, Lord, of friendship. Help us to follow you, we pray. In your name we ask this. Amen. Amen. Mike Beaumont and David Taverner in the Holy Land, tracing the life of Jesus then and now. Check out the UCB website for the free episode guide with photos, Bible references and background information. Go to ucb.co.uk forward slash Jesus then and now. And you can hear more 30 minute conversations with Mike and David talking about the Bible on the UCB player app. Under podcasts, just select Bible books, Bible biogs, or Bible surprises. Bible.